0: Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Twin telepathy as it's called so to speak right has anyone heard about this before twin telepathy ever heard of that before it's the notion that we have this method of communication that we know what each other is thinking does anyone have a twin anyone have a twin anyone ever heard this before twin telepathy you know what somebody is saying right you know what each other is thinking and this is the reality that my brother and i share I think it's true that we know what each other is thinking, and it happens, not just twins though, it's siblings, right? You know this in your own life, it's siblings. It can happen with good friends, and it's part of the reason why we can see each other through nonverbal communication. Because of our history with other people, we can look across the room, you know this, you've got good friends, you've got your best friends, you know this, you can look across the room and you can know what that other person's thinking, right? You know this about nonverbal communication. It's, exa- it's an amazing thing that God's created us and wired us to, be a, to have incredibly skilled set of tools for communicating with each other, even without words. Our body language tells us a lot, indicates friendliness and approval and happiness. A high five means, usually, I'm on your side, right? A gentle pat in the back means, or a hug means, uh, or healing touch is something that we desperately need. Teachers will tell you that slouching in your seat says, I'm not interested at all in what you're saying. And while sitting on the edge of your chair, leaning forward usually means I'm listening or at least trying to show that I'm engaged with this conversation and to eke out that A minus when I deserve a B plus, right? We try to be the teacher's pet, right? Have anyone ever been a teacher's pet before in a classroom, okay? Um, when it comes to loving our neighbors and reaching people who are far from god we can do it without words right we can do it without words we can hope we can do this without words have you heard this classic saying preach the gospel at all times when necessary use words have you ever heard that before it's a little short phrase (coughs) preach the gospel at all times when necessary use words so when I say that, I mean this, right? I know those words are I know words are those words are important, and I understand the importance behind that statement and that quote. But we are called to bless people in word and deed. It is is word and deed, not just we can we have to use words at times to do this. We have to proclaim and tell our stories to other people at times, in which we can bless other people. And Jesus' Great Commission, a bit of a hallmark to his disciples, says this. His Great Commission says, there, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what? Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Anytime I taste something particularly delicious, I offer a bite uh, to my wife and watch her with eager anticipation of what that will look like. And we are very good about our favorite recipes and restaurants, right? We are very ardent evangelists, so to speak, about our favorite recipes and restaurants and movies and places and products, are we not? The more we enjoy something, the more we want other people to experience it as well. And sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect when it comes to God, our relationship with God. Though we love Him, we don't always make Him known. Our relationship with God is meant to impact our homes and workplaces and communities for his glory. And as we behold his magnificence, we should want other people to do the same, to behold him and magnify his name. And as we experience his grace and love and comfort, we should always want other people to receive that. Amy DiMarcangelo says it like this. She says, gospel proclamation and discipleship aren't just for pastors and preachers or for the eloquent or seminary education educated. The whole church is entrusted with this mission and each of us has an integral part. You see, God worked through people like Paul and gruff fishermen like Peter. And his fame would spread through successful businesswomen like Lydia and through children and the same is true today and though God sometimes builds his kingdom through brilliant people through the seminary educationists and the evangelists and the apologists he doesn't depend on them he can work through you and me as well you see when our actions are while our actions are an irreplaceable aspect of our witness to other people preaching the gospel requires words we're not preaching the gospel with our lives if we're not also preaching the gospel with our lips Good works alone cannot impart the good news that Christ died to redeem sinners. Words must be spoken in order to impart the gospel to other people. In Romans 10, 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone else preaching? There's this real sense of verbally saying and verbally talking about what it means to be a part, what it means to be part of the family of God and what this looks like in our own heart and lives and be part of the gospel and what it looks like to have this on the ground. You see, one of the more powerful ways in which we can be a people of good news is through the last S word, it's called stories. Stories, our stories are powerful ways in which we learn about God and learn about others in the world around us. Say it, church, together. One, two, three, it's a story word. One, two, three. Stories are powerful ways in which we can learn about God. So we're landing the plane today on this blessed series. and. Um, church i've hoped and i prayed that this has been a good series for us and to practically live out the gospel and to bless the neighbors around us we are in a culture vying for our attention we're in a culture of overproductivity, and we are in a culture where it is really good to have a screen in front of us right and it's really important to flip through the phone and have a screen facebook and social media so i'm praying that this series you know maybe it's not necessarily uh we might not think it's extravagant ways in which we can think about things but these are very practical ways in which we can bless people around us so i'm praying that this has done some of those things in your heart in my life as well and so um i just pray that that would uh, just indwell us in a real real strong way Uh, and uh, we would bless our neighbors as well and sometimes um, we read that love your god love your neighbor and we treat sometimes our neighbor as a metaphor it's kind of like love your neighbor is sort of like not it's not necessarily well my neighbor next door it's just kind of out there but god calls us to do this it's a command and we must be about this as well everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world begin with prayer listen eat serve and the last one today is story and we've talked about all of this together we're going to land on the story part of this as well. And last week we talked about what it truly means to serve people, and Galatians 5 reminded us this. You my brothers and sisters were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather what? Serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we talked about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. That was not, that was unheard of for a master rabbi like jesus to get down on get down on the ground and wash his disciples feet the very muck and mire the worst part of the just the dirtiest part and you walked everywhere in those days and jesus became a servant and washed his disciples feet and used this as an example you should do this for others as you have done unto you and so um, of all the things that jesus's mind and heart even we know what this kind of this last night was for Jesus, we washed his disciples' feet, and this was the night before he was betrayed, and he still had his mind on serving people, even though he knew he was gonna be betrayed that very night, it's amazing. And in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that's what I am. Now that I, Lord Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And we said that the way to know God's blessing in your life is to become a humble servant like Jesus, because of the four last words, if you do them, you will be blessed if you do them. And the kind of our, if we can be honest, like kind of sometimes the inner spiritual part of ourselves, um, sometimes we just don't, Want to or don't have a desire to serve, and I think we serve out of love. We don't serve for it; we serve out of love, and blessedness comes through service. We just serve the Lord because the Lord has loved us, and we love Him, and uh, He He requires that of us. We will be blessed if you do them. We've said this, and you're probably it's a, it's actually a good thing for me, my own heart, and my life. This is the fifth time we'll repeat this again. But it says this in Mark 12: to love the Lord your God with all your what. Heart and with all your what, soul and with all your, and with all your strength. And the second is this: love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So as we look at the story, we're going to go to John three. If you have your Bible, you can go to John three. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. John chapter three. It's a guy named Nicodemus, who uh was a conversation that he has with a guy named Nicodemus at the very start of the uh, very onset of his ministry in the Gospel of John. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And in verse one, we're told that he's a member. He's a very important Pharisee at the highest part of the Jewish ruling council, and he was a Pharisee. They were religious of the religious of the day. They knew the scriptures inside and out. And he has this conversation with Nicodemus, the kind of the know-it-alls of the day, and well-to-do religious group, and knew the scriptures. And he goes and talks to Jesus at night. So let's go there, John three. If you're visiting or watching with us this morning, we at this church value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. Make sure you find a church that does the same, preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully. 7.51 of the Bible in front of you, John chapter 3, one and two verses 1 and 2 say this, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs and wonders you're doing if God were not with him. Conversation starts out with Nicodemus acknowledging that Jesus is from God because of the miracles that he has done. Notice Jesus doesn't say, Well, thank you very much, Nicodemus. It's great to hear you say that. Jesus takes this in a very personal direction. He tells Nicodemus that he needs to be born from above. And this concept is a bit hard for him to understand because he'd always been taught everything was fine between him and God. After all, he was an Israelite by birth and obeyed the religious rules. Yet Nicodemus is curious, so he asks Jesus this. Yet, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, in verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And in verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. And the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit of God. Nicodemus asked this, how can this be? Nicodemus seems genuinely interested by what he's hearing here. He seems to be. Jesus is turning the world upside down here of what it means to really know God. And he goes on to ask Nicodemus, telling questions, and then starts sharing his story. In verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has came from heaven, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is from Daniel 7, from the Old Testament, and he's God in the flesh. And as a scholar, he knew the scriptures. (coughs) Sorry, now Nicodemus Would have known this loud and clear this message jesus is not done he continues this eternity altering conversation sharing more of his story just as moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life with him for god the verse 16 you've probably heard this or bumper stickered or at a football game somebody's got a billboard on a football game john 3 16 so it says this god so loved the world That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that's how you tell a story. I mean, the greatest story ever told, am I right? God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him, no qualifiers, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's an amazing story. He comes to Jesus in the middle of the night with red hot spiritual interest, and he meets that need right then and there shares the story about who he is and what he's about last week we shared about washington union wally and washington union wally is back um he's appeared yet again he is in the position and he exists (coughs) freely (coughs) and happily in the context of relationships and sharing, but he only can do that. He can only receive, he only give what he receives, and he receives because he loves God first. We share our stories and give of ourselves out of the sincere love of God in which we thrive and live and he's happy when he's experienced the fullness of the love of God, and then only can he serve other people. And in First John, it says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And after he's experienced God's love through the Holy Spirit, the love of Christ, he's opened the scriptures, and then and only then he is able to give that love away. But why are we reluctant to share our stories? why is it we are reluctant or why are some of these roadblocks what why is it that we're kind of on the shy side about this um just a few things that i thought of when this week right as we think about this maybe you're like maybe you say this i just don't have what it takes Maybe you're like, sharing my story is kind of for the super religious people and those who have it all together or those who know the Bible inside and out. Those who have the Bible memorized to a T in front and back and they know the, all the end time premillennial, uh post-millennial arguments about the book of Revelation, right? So you've got to memorize forwards and backwards, um, right? And so uh, sometimes we think we have, we have to have all the answers in order to share our story. Maybe you say this, I just don't want to impose my beliefs on my friends and family. Um, maybe there's this underlying fear. Maybe you think like, I just don't want to impose my beliefs. I might offend somebody. I might turn people away. And I don't believe that the Lord would call us all to be a, uh, to a, a, like, a, in that way, a jerk in any way. But I believe that God is honored when we tell people about the difference that Jesus Christ has made in our lives. And we tell people about that. God's done this in my life. And Jesus has done this. It reminds me of this quote. Maybe you've heard this D.T. Miles, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Isn't that good? If we believe that Jesus is really true, the Bible is really real, and what we've found is the best news ever, then why would not we want me to share that news with other people to tell them about? Why wouldn't we want that for our friends and families? In Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, he says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved, but then Paul says this in verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? If you read that again, but swap out the word someone there, and how can they hear about him unless blank tells them? Friend, what you say in our words can help point people to the desperate, for good to life, saving bread found in Jesus. Our story is compelling. It's not imposing, but compelling because it's your story of how you found the love of God in Jesus. That's amazing. Another story, another thing, another reason is this. You may be thinking like, I'm, I don't really want to share my story because my story is not interesting, right? Maybe you wonder if your story is worth telling anybody at all. You may think your story is just simply not important or it's kind of boring. You kind of hear stories about people coming to Christ after years of just running the other way, and you're like, maybe you were born in the church nursery. Maybe you were born in the church nursery, and maybe you ate the. Maybe you were born in the church, and maybe you ate uh, the goldfish crackers from the church nursery floor, right? Maybe you were just born in the church nursery, and you were there, um, and you were from the moment you were born. But I just want to tell you, there's a story to be told there. I'm reminded, and even if we just need to say when it comes to sharing our faith and our stories, we should not let our feelings stop us from sharing words that can mean the difference in the life and eternity of those who we know. Like there is, it's just reality. Like there are people going to die, spend eternity in hell if we're not about this and about sharing the gospel, sharing our story, and sharing with Jesus about this. We have to say, devil, you lose, heaven wins, and hell loses. We just got to say, heaven win, hell lose, with some of this, and just say, you know what? Sometimes we just have to, like, kind of break through the barrier in some of this, and say, you know what, God, you're with me, your spirit's with me, and that's the end. Like, heaven win hell lose the end john 9 one of jesus closest friends and disciples tells us about a story about a guy who simply shared this life-changing story with his neighbors as jesus was walking along he saw a man who had been born blind from birth in verse 1 um, we don't know this man's name we just know he's been blind from birth he's also a beggar just the man who used to sit and beg um, we just know that from verse 8 just a man who sitting beg from the side of the road. Not only is he blind, he's also a beggar. And Jesus comes to this man. He does a very strange thing with this. He spits on the ground, makes mud from it, and then spreads the mud over the blind beggar's eyes. And the blind man cooperates and follows Jesus's next instructions to wash out his eyes. It says this in verse 7, so the man went and washed and came back seeing. It's a miracle. The man who had been born blind from birth suddenly can see. Can you imagine that? For years you've lived in darkness, and in a matter of minutes, Jesus Christ smears mud over your eyes, and bam, you can see clear as day. It's an amazing story. The guy is completely blown away. He can't keep quiet. When his neighbors ask him what happened, he says this. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put on his eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, then I could see. This man, fully, this man can't fully explain how it happened. And I'm guessing he might have been a bit hesitant in this even moment to, to share about this spinning part, and he simply tells them, Jesus did, now his life is forever changed. And sometimes we just know we that we can't always explain exactly what happened when we chose to follow Jesus either. Later, when the man asks about what happened, he says this. I love this. I was blind, but now I see. And the story gives us kind of a good framework here. I was blind, but now I see. It gives us a great framework for telling our own stories. It looks like this: Part one, I was blind. The man declared. It's kind of a framework for telling it. I was blind. The man declared, and that's the man who who he was before he met Jesus. Part two is this: How I met Jesus is he put mud on my eyes, and the man explains this strange encounter with with the Lord. In part three, my life since I met Jesus. Oh, I was blind but now I see. You see, every single story of redemption, every single story of redemption is worth telling. Every story of God's grace and mercy is worth captivating. Why? Because Jesus died for it. Jesus died for your story and for you. Every story. If you've got a story of God's grace and mercy moving through your life, it is worth sharing. Any story of God's redeeming mercy in your life, any story of God redeeming your life, snatching your life from the hand of the devil is worth sharing. Any story of brokenness being restored and redeemed is worth telling. Um, I know for you and for many of us, it's the way in which we live. It's a testimony unto God. Does Jesus flow from our heart to those around us? This is a question. It's like sometimes it's the way we live is a testimony to other people. Does the Lord flow from our heart to people around us. Could someone honestly say this about our lives? Jesus lives in that person by the way we live. Do our actions flow from a heart that loves Jesus? Does the way we talk and respond to our spouse and children reflect one who loves Jesus? Is the way our life operates and the things that we say and the conversations that we've had with others, does that reflect one who loves Jesus? Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your what? Heart. Because everything you do flows from it. Luke 6.45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his what? Heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is is full of. Maybe today you're kind of like, "Eh, this Jesus story, like I followed him a long time ago and I've accepted him a long time ago. It's just kind of mundane. Like maybe you've been a Christian your whole life and the story has just lost a bit of its flavor. And let me just say this. We talk about spiritual things. We talk about uh, things that are hard, difficult. Maybe it's lost a little bit of its flavor. And um, I don't know what it is, but sometimes we fixate on the brokenness of our lives. Um, Maybe it's just conflict. Maybe we are not peacemakers and just kind of, you know, miss conflict in our lives. Maybe, maybe it's just, just this Jesus thing has lost a bit of a punch. You can't recall the last time maybe you shared your story of Jesus to someone. Maybe it's just fixating on, on what is broken. Um, maybe you've got a hard time identifying it. Rather than what's redeemable, we fixate on what's broken. There was a time in Kentucky when our sink was broken, when we lived there, and we were in seminary housing, and, um, which would offer people to come and fix the sink. But instead of uh, asking them to come and uh, fix the sink, we just adapted to the brokenness. We just adapted to the brokenness and we just made it, we just kind of let it go. And sometimes when we talk about spiritual things here, is there an area of brokenness that's just become a new normal in our lives? that we haven't fixed, or that we haven't asked God to do, and sometimes our brokenness just kind of gets in the way, and I know that our identity is in Jesus. Um, our identity is in Jesus, and we have to operate from a sense of, like, our identity is in Christ. We operate out of a love of, for Christ for other people, and sometimes we kind of just run from whatever, conflict or anger or forgiveness, And we ought to run to Jesus because of what he's done and the identity that we have in him. We become, uh, instead of being peacemakers, we're peace fakers, right, at times. And there's an area of my life, maybe it's just another question, is there an area of my life that I keep saying, when that happens? Sometimes we leave some of this to say, okay, when this happens in my life, when things get better in my life or when things settle down or when my kids call me, when that happens, or when my parents, you know, vice versa. It could be a myriad of issues when that happens. And what area of our soul have we abandoned sort of some hope? Um, what area in which we can identify in our own heart, our own life, in which we, um, we have lost all hope for that we need the saving knowledge of Jesus to come fill that? Is there an area of our lives in which we've given up hope that things can truly change? That's part of our story. Sometimes a part of our story, we give up hope that we can actually change. We've given up hope that things can be made right through Jesus, and he makes all things new. Is there an area of our lives in which we've given up hope that things can truly change? This is what I'll say. If you're here today, if you're all over the spectrum, if you say, you know what, I have not trusted Jesus, or maybe you've trusted Jesus for quite a while, Can our stories be redeemed, church? Yes. Our stories can be redeemed. You are never outside of the bounds of God's redemptive love and grace for your life and mercy. Isn't that good? Because we've all have had these points in our lives where we have have ran or we have sort of kind of drifted away from what God's good and perfect will is for our lives. We've drifted from that. And um, our stories can be redeemed, church. I just want you to know, Because why can they be redeemed? Because Jesus is alive and broken people can find real hope. Amen? Broken people can find real hope in Jesus. Whether you've got a story that you feel like is just too broken or messy, that God cannot come in and handle, feel like maybe God is just like, it just can't handle this. I've tried it before. It's been long standing. Maybe you've got a story that you've walked with God for a while and you want restoration of the soul. The Spirit of God, I just want you to know, the Spirit of God is at work to redeem your story, and He's here, and He's now. You know, um, Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives, and He does this through the body and the blood of His Son, Jesus. And I just want you to kind of, as we take a moment today to pause on the middle of the year, as we take a moment today to pause even on our own story about the story of God, the story of Jesus. Um, I just want us to take a moment to pause before we take communion today. Um, Josh, will you come up and play uh, for us as we kind of communion and pray together? Um, Thanks, man.